The playoffs are finally here. We're diving into every matchup on both Saturday and Sunday to get you ready. Plus, the coaching carousel continues around the NFL. The Giants finally fired Joe Judge. How will the Mara family rebuild their organization? And which coaches should be leading candidates for open positions? It's all coming up next on the GM Shuffle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. All right, lots of great games to get into. Man, wildcard weekend is so much fun, especially when there's more games to get into, Mike. But you called it. Joe Judge is finally out of a job. Fired for two seasons. The third time in a row the Giants have fired a coach after two seasons. My first thought when I hear someone gets fired after two seasons, I go, eh, did he really get a chance? And then I see the numbers, I go, well, the evidence is not good. The Giants finished 4-13 and with six straight losses. They topped 10 points just once during that stretch. And owner John Morris said, we dug a hole so deep that I didn't see a clear path to getting out of it unless we completely blew it up and started all over again. Your reaction? You know, I, I don't think he had a choice, right? I think that he wanted to keep Joe. He wanted to see progress. But, you know, off the field, Joe's I- I insane press conference after the Bears game where he rambled on uh, certainly gave no credibility to the fan base, gave no credibility to the players, and then obviously to the ownership group. And then, you know, the performance on the field. You know, what? one thing when you're rebuilding, all you want to see is some kind of progress. But the the, the bigger issue here is is... You know, John John Mara hired Joe. Joe had no practical experience as a head coach. He'd been a special teams coach. He helped with the offense in New England, but really not. Uh, so there was no way, if you believe, as I do, the head coach is a problem solver, that he solves all the problems, offense, defense, and the kicking game. If you believe that, and that's who you're going to turn the franchise over to, how do you hire somebody that can't solve problems on two sides of the ball? It just became hard. And I think for Joe's career, and I say this as a friend of Joe's, respectfully to Joe, he would have been better off taking the Mississippi State job. Now, he wouldn't have been as wealthy as he is today, uh, but he would have been a better coach and he would have had a better future. Now, he's never going to become a head coach again. He's going to be basically a special teams coach in the National Football League for the rest of his life. And people are going to look back on his career at New York and say he was a failure. And he lost out on, on that opportunity. I think sometimes we in our ambitious state, take these jobs that we think are going to really enhance us, and yet we're not prepared for them. I want to go on specifically because of your relationship with Bill Belichick and, of course, your ties to New England. This New York Post column, which the headline from Peter Bodie says, Joe Judge's firing represents yet another failure for the Bill Belichick coaching tree. Little argument, Belichick, the greatest NFL coach of the Super Bowl era, but the astonishing lack of success by his former assistants as head coach in the league somehow continues to add new splintered branches. What do you make of that kind of a comment? Well, I think it's true, but here's what I would say. Here's what I would differ. I think a lot of these guys don't really know what Bill does. I know they work with Bill. I know they worked alongside of Bill, but they don't get Bill. I used to tell a few of them that have failed. I think you really need to understand what happened in Cleveland. 
before you can understand what Bill's doing in New England. Like Cleveland was part of what happens in New England. And if you don't understand the maturation of the coach, I don't think Bill changed at all, but I think the trials and triumphs that happened in Cleveland, and certainly there were more trials than triumphs, then that made that turned him in. And I don't think people truly understand it. They copy a section of him. You know, and 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 this happens with all coaches. I mean, if you talk to anybody who worked for Mike Holmgren, they all manner, mimic his mannerisms and they sound like him. It's just human nature what coaches do. But I think in New England's case, and I had this conversation with the player, very, and I'm going to underscore the word very, very few people know exactly what he does. And those that pretend they know is only because they can say those words in an interview and enlighten someone like John Mara and they can win them over. But the implementation of those words, like I can come out here and start talking to you all about Emerald's recipes and, and, and engage you in a conversation on how to cook, you know, cordon bleu and, and make, you know, duck et toute and all that crap. <laughs> I can't make it, but I know how to say it, right? I think that's a lot of it. And I think a lot of people just don't really know what is in the nuts and bolts and the mortar of, the, of what Bill does. And so when he sends these coaches out, I don't think they're qualified. Look, Joe, I'll say this for his respect. Joe wasn't qualified to be a head coach. He wasn't. John Mara appointed him two pay grades above where he should have been. He should have been the head coach at Mississippi State. He should have gone there and learned his craft. You need, you know, all these guys that they come from there it's not a horse racing stud farm. You got to go get 10,000 hours out there to be the guy. And I think that's the biggest issue. And I think the guy that hired him is as much a fault as Joe. And now he's back at plate again. He's going to hire someone else. The 10,000 hour rule, Malcolm Gladwell. I love it. And you and I both know you learn more from failure. You learn more from adversity than you do from success. So whatever Belichick's learned along the way obviously has made him a better coach. Hopefully these guys will learn from their failures. Dave Gettleman retiring after four seasons with the Giants. So, if there's a glimmer of optimism for the Giants, Mike, at least they're starting fresh. They're going to get a GM, they're going to get a coach, and hopefully, they? They yeah. Are they starting fresh? <laughs> they still I mean, that, yeah. that's the fundamental question I think you need to really ask. I mean, so they're not going to hire Kevin Abrams. They said he's not going to be part of the, the, the GM candidate, but he's still part of the organization. So let's just go through the dynamics. If you're interviewing for the Giant GM job, and you know that, and I think Chris Mara is a really good scout. I'll be on record to say I work with Chris. I've worked alongside of Chris. Chris knows talent. I think Chris is a really good guy. I think Chris probably sees the pitfalls of the organization much like I do because he was brought up in the system. But Chris is going to be the personnel director, right? Then you're going to have his, his Tim McDonald, the nephew, right? He's in there. So they got two of them. And then you're going to have Kevin. Now, Kevin, human nature. This is not a knock on Kevin Abrams, but human nature has to feel somewhat bitter and disappointed that you can't even interview for the head coaching job, that for the GM job, that you've been a good servant for all these years. And because of the past failures of these other gentlemen, you now can't interview, but you're going to remain in the organization. How's that going to work? How does that work? Like Kevin would be better off going somewhere else as a salary cap guy, somewhere else to restart his career. Because the new guy coming in, if you're the general manager and you know Abrams is over there and their cap's a mess and he wants the job, so now you're dealing with some personal conflict. That becomes hard to do in an organization. That creates another civil war, right? And I don't think it's intentional, but it's just human nature, right? It's just human nature. And then you're going to also embrace some of these people in the scouting. 
Like John Mara says on one hand, we're going to start anew, but yet we still have a structure within the company. And those people in there, I think there's one thing about the Giants. They're, they have been, there's so many people that, and John Mara is such a loyal person. I think that they have been so good to those people that those people that have these jobs for a long periods of time don't feel like they're going to get, don't have any accountability. And through that offers uh, offers the 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 inability of the new guy coming in to push the envelope. So it's not really as fresh as we might think. Let's look at the coaching searches and the candidates for different jobs. Of these jobs, I was on Toronto Sports Talk Radio yesterday. They said, which job is the most attractive? And I said, in many ways, I think it's the Broncos because they've got a really good team. It's just a matter of finding a quarterback. They have a quarterback who can take them to the next level. I understand that's the most important position. You can't whiff again. But these are some names being thrown out there. Cowboys defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn. Packers OC, Nathaniel Hackett. The Eagles DC, Jonathan Gannon. Packers quarterback coach, Luke Getze. Denver Broncos, Vic Fangio's out of a job any of those names mike pique your interest i think dan quinn has the i think dan quinn has the denver job i tweeted out yesterday i would bet on him to get the denver job i think he and george payton i think denver is the best job i think you're right denver's the best job because george payton's a football guy george payton spent a year identifying what's wrong with the denver broncos organization he knows what's wrong and so basically what he's doing is scouting inside out he's saying to himself okay this is what's wrong with the organization. This is what we need to fix. And this guy, Dan Quinn, can give us that. And so he's gone out and hired him. I think he's going to hire him. You know, I would be shocked if it didn't happen. I think something would have to fall apart dramatically. You know, today in Seattle, they're having a bunch of organizational meetings. If something blew up in Seattle, maybe Quinn would be more enticed to go to Seattle than Denver. But Quinn's, Quinn's going to get the Denver job. He'll, if he wants, if he's, and then if something else shakes out, which I don't think will, you know, he would, he could easily go there. But that being said, Peyton, this job in Denver, you know, Fick Fangio is a really good defense coordinator, but he's not a head coach and he wasn't able to lead an organization. He wasn't able to instill vigor and energy and vibrancy within the organization. So therefore that became a problem. And, and Quinn, because Peyton knows what he needs, fits the bill perfectly there. So I think that's the job. And I think of all these jobs, you know, the Bears, they have Bill Tobin running their GM search. They got George McCaskey. The Dolphins have Stephen Ross along with Chris Greer. Minnesota has the ownership group, Rob Brzezinski, who I think is very good. You know, I, I think, and then I think that, you know, as you look at these jobs, the Giants have John Mara, you know, you really need somebody who understands, and it's not football as much as it is team building. Who understands that? Like all these guys that are getting interviewed for these GM jobs, are they going to come in and talk about how they can evaluate? Or are they going to come in and talk about how they're going to build a team to win in the city they're working in? Chicago Bears, Bills DC, Leslie Frazier, Doug Peterson, Todd Bowles, Brian Flores, and Jim Harbaugh. Obviously Harbaugh, the biggest fish there. He did what he needed to do at Michigan, especially this year. He beats Ohio State. He gets in the college football playoff, played in Chicago, knows and loves the city. Do you see Harbaugh going to Chicago? I mean, I think I think it's going to have to be an attractive, attractive decision for Harbaugh, attractive place, destination for Harbaugh to go. I think he's going to need to have the kind of autonomy that he has in Michigan, where he can run his program. I don't think, and I've said this before, that Jim would be inclined to go somewhere where he's working for somebody. And I think this is, I wrote this for the Daily Coach, and I think this is really important. A guy like Jim Harbaugh, it's not that he's power hungry. He needs to be culture hungry. He needs to be able to go somewhere where he can install his culture without interference from somebody above him. That's different than being power hungry. That's different than being, I'm going to run everything, everything runs through me. 
there, there's a difference there and people confuse the two. And if he were, if he goes into Chicago and it's somebody else that he doesn't know trying to pick the players that don't fit the culture, then it becomes a problem. And I don't think he'll do that. Miami Dolphins, everyone's still shocked by the fact Flores lost his job, despite the fact Miami closed strong, but clearly um, ruffled feathers the wrong way, perhaps as they would say, didn't play well in the sandbox. The Dolphins have an opening. Jim Caldwell, 49ers OC, Mike McDaniel. How about Bill's offensive coordinator, Brian Dable? Got Josh Allen on the right track specifically a year ago. Obviously had success in college, but you have an owner in Stephen Ross who's going to impose his will. What about Dable with Miami? The Miami question for me is, which I think they're going to find out, if people are honest in the interview, right? Like, a lot of people are never honest in the interview. They tell the owners what they want to hear. They tell the GMs what they want to hear. But if if you're really honest, are you going to sit there and say, I can build a team around Tua? Because that's what Ross wants to hear. That's what Brian Flores wouldn't say. So the next guy come in, if Flores felt that way, how is the next guy going to come in and fix it? You say, well, they're going to run an offense that suits what Tua does. They are running an offense that suits what Tua does. It's the only offense you can run. It's the only one you can run. You got to run an RPO where he can throw little passes and run after the catch. So, I mean, if if Dayball has any other options, I would think he would stay clear of Miami only because he knows the pitfalls that went through. See, what, what I don't think teams understand is when they fire their coach, especially a guy who's won, the new guy coming in is saying like, what happened? What went wrong here? Like, if he if he's getting fired for winning this many games, how the hell am I going to keep my job? And I don't think Miami gets that. It makes me think a little bit about what happened with Philadelphia a year ago. We were speculating about Nick Sirianni saying, all right, he's the closest to Frank Reich you're going to get. He's there in Indianapolis. Of course, Carson Wentz was never better than when he had Frank Reich as his offensive coordinator. So the Eagles hire Sirianni, and then it was surprising they actually got rid of Wentz. You're like, oh, I thought you were bringing in Sirianni to work with Wentz. Instead, you trade Wentz. Now Jalen Hurts is the guy, et cetera. I'm curious if Miami hires a head coach who they feel can fix Tua, and then maybe Tua doesn't end up being the guy anyways. Regardless, one other job to talk about, that's Minnesota. Uh, Mike Zimmer was there for eight years. Last year's particularly really underachieved. The name's being banded about. Jim Caldwell again. Eric sleeping with enemy. Perhaps finally going to get his chance. <laughs> and Doug Peterson, the former Eagles coach. What do you think about Minnesota? Well, I think, you know, Rob Brzezinski's been there a long time. I think he's done a really good job with the team. I think they'll be smart and prudent on who they hire. Uh, usually these teams hire the opposite of what they had. Zimmer was a tough, you know, hard-nosed, kind of crusty coach. Uh, you know, not afraid to share his opinion. You know, I don't know if they'll go softer, but, you know, they got issues at quarterback with Kirk Cousins. He's guaranteed $45 million for next year. This is going to be a G. I think they're going to partner a GM with a coach. I know they're interviewing a bunch of coaches right now. I think it's wide open. I think the field's wide open. Look, the one thing I do know right now, other than Harbaugh, other than Harbaugh, I don't think you need to be in a race to go hire anybody because nobody's going anywhere. Like, like Dan Quinn wouldn't interview in Jacksonville. Because, and a lot of guys don't want to interview in Jacksonville. Billy O'Brien's down there, I think, yesterday. A lot of guys don't want to interview in Jacksonville because they don't want to work for Balky. You know, Balky's like that sheriff in a town, you know, when you're at the saloon and they go up to Boot Hill and there's all these names up at Boot Hill, right? Well, you got Jim Harbaugh's name in Boot Hill. You know, he got fired after by, by Balky. You got Thomas Sula up there in Boot Hill. He got fired by Balky. You got... Chip Kelly up there in Boot Hill, fired by Balky. And then you got Marone up there. I mean, a lot of a lot of guys, you know, you're running this saloon, you can enter it and you can get killed. Remember those Boot Hill days? <laughs> Feels like a you scene know? of deliverance. I yep. used to lo- I used to love that Wild Wild West show. Did you ever watch that? That Wild Wild with Robert Con? That was one of the best shows ever. I loved it. It was well written. But anyway, I don't know how I get on that subject. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, th- that's a problem in Jacksonville. AD, 
I mean, they don't, you know, they got, and I'm not, look, Balky's his own guy. The league office loves Balky. They put him in position. The ownership in Jacksonville feels bad because they, you know, he was with Urban and he really didn't get a chance, which is all probably really true. However, you got to make a marriage. That's why the Billy O'Brien thing is because I think Balky feels like he and Billy O'Brien can work together. I don't see that. I think they're two high-strung personalities that have a hard time getting along. Jacksonville remains to be seen. It is quite a mess. That's all the head coaches and their vacancies. Let's get to some actual football. The Raiders at the Bengals, Saturday, 4-15 Eastern. The first playoff game for Joe Burrow. He does have big game experience at LSU. We saw a game this year in which he threw for 525 yards. But the Raiders had a crazy emotional win to get in the playoffs as they beat the Chargers. Should be a fun game. Welcome to the jungle. Raiders and Bengals. Bengals minus five and a half. Yeah, the lines kind of stayed right there. I mean, they played one time before. Really a close game. Don't don't be con- de- deceived by the score of that game. Uh, it was a really close game. It's sixteen to thirteen. The Bengals are in, up in front, and then and then they drove down the field and they scored. I think the Bengals did a really good job of of finally spreading the Raider defense out, getting them to check into their basic zone stuff, and then throwing the ball on the outside. They got the ball to Chase and certainly Boyd and all their skill players. And, you know, their defense made a huge stop in the fourth quarter, intercepted Derek Carr. Waller played. Waller was really good. This game was close. And, you know, but it was close because the field goal kicker for Cincinnati made three kicks over 50 yards. Set, you know, was one of 14 other guys in the NFL history to be a rookie and make that many long kicks. So I think this is a close game. I don't like the Raiders in terms of being able to score a lot of points. I think the Bengals need to be able to spread them out, but protect the quarterback, right? I think the last time they played, Burrow got hit way too much between Crosby and Ndokwe. They put a lot of pressure on them. So I think it'll be a fun game. And I know this, the Raiders will move the ball in the Bengals. They will move the ball in the Bengals. Now, whether they get in the end zone, whether Carr plays to the highest level, I don't know. Five and a half seems like a lot of points because I think when you look at this game, the last time they played where the Raiders fell well short was they were one for nine or one for 10 on third down. That's where they lost the game. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. The Raiders pull off the upset. I am curious how they're going to try to control Jamar Chase. I could see him running wild against that Raiders secondary. Two inexperienced coaches as well. You never know if Zach Taylor will make a bonehead decision. So watch out for that against Rich Passaccia. Patriots and Bills, round three. Bills minus four and a half. It's in Buffalo. It's supposed to be frigid. Not like you got to, you know, only throw the ball three times, but it's going to be cold as hell as you expect in Buffalo in January. 8.15 Eastern, all eyes on Mac Jones as he'll try to go in. As I said, that first matchup they won in crazy weather conditions, the Bills took that second game. I think the Bills are the better team, Mike. I know Josh Allen's been inconsistent this season. He's had playoff woes, but I think Buffalo wins this game. You? Well, you know, I think Buffalo is really, really good when they can play from in front and they can get the, the build a lead. But when they're in tight games this year, they have struggled. This is going to be a game. This is the rematch, right? This is the thriller in Manila. The last time they played in, in, in New England, New England was one for 10 on third down. Couldn't convert third down, played from behind the whole game, and really could never get catch up. Mac Jones didn't play very well. They didn't throw the ball. They ran the ball effectively, but then they couldn't stop him. I mean, they never forced Buffalo to punt. I mean, New England's going to have to change what they do defensively, their whole mindset defensively, because in this last game, Buffalo's biggest play was 28 yards. They kept checking it down, three, four, eight, first down, first down, first down. You know, I, I think this is going to be a really a, a game that Belichick's going to have to change, shift, focus his defense onto how he's going to create some negative plays. Because if he doesn't, and they control the ball for 34, 35 minutes, Buffalo will win the game. So look, I think Mac Jones will make some throws. I think the third time you play any team, 
You should be better at throwing the ball. You should be better at running the ball. Both sides. Still to come here on the GM Shuffle. We'll talk about all the games on Sunday. Can the Eagles pull off an upset against the weekend Buccaneers? Plus, a throwback to the 90s. 49ers and Cowboys now taking place in 2022. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Watch a little bit of ESPN this week. Dan Orlovsky said for the Eagles to beat the Buccaneers, they'd have to run for 250 yards. It sounds like a gargantuan amount, but this is an Eagles team that had the number one rushing attack. Once they put all their eggs in that basket, they became a better team. The Buccaneers are a little bit weakened, although I did check their run defense as number three as far as overall in this year. The problem for me for Philadelphia, Mike, yeah, maybe they can run the ball a lot. Maybe they can control the clock, but I can't see them stopping Gronk. They have no answer in that defense to stop Gronkowski. I think the Bucs win. The line is at minus is eight and a half. Yeah. You know, I mean, the first time they played, there, there were two different teams. I mean, it was week, I think it was week four. It was a Thursday night game. The Bronc, the, the, the Bucks got off to a huge 21-7 lead. Then they made it 28-7 and the Eagles made their comeback. And But the Eagles during that time were playing all cover two, playing zone. It was easy for Brady. He was just picking back and forth. And then the Eagles really didn't run the ball. And then the Bucks were much better against the run. That th- that 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 statistic that you cited is for the year, but over the last couple of weeks of the season, because of injuries to their defensive unit, they've been way more vulnerable to the run. And so, you know, I think that they that you know the Eagles have to run the Oklahoma offense because I don't think they're going to beat the Bucks with Hurts' arm. I think he's going to make plays with his feet, make plays with his arm, but they've got to run. Whether they run for two forty or two hundred, I don't think it. I think they've got to control the game with their running game. It's not a matter of yards. It's a matter of control. Now, good thing for this weekend. I mean, just so you know, all road teams, AD, are 14-4 and four straight up and 15-3 and three against the spread in the wild card round over the last four years. The under is 12-6 and six the last four seasons. It's 26-11-1 in the last nine playoff season, the under. Only one wild card team over the last eight seasons has played in and won the Super Bowl. First-time coaches, which will be Seriani, are 8-1 and one straight up and against the spread over the last three seasons. 
Incredible. So, so much for everybody saying, hey, look at home field. Those numbers go out the window the last few years. And so much for inexperienced head coaches because those guys clearly can step yep. up when need be. And I'll say this for Tampa Bay, Mike. I think they win this game. The third depleted team overall. I can't see them making a deep run. Levante, David, Leonard Fournette, Gio Bernard, all those guys, they've been designated to return from the IR, but they're still not a team playing at full health. No, and even if they come back, they're not healthy. And and the other thing I think you got to think into this is this home favorites of a touchdown or more, which Tampa is in the wild card round are 13 and 2 straight up and 11 and 4 against the spread since 05 wow. which would lend itself to betting them yeah listen i think philly gives them a game this is a team that did not beat a winning team all year i get that i know right. that schedule was very um you know desirable down the stretch they didn't lose in the month of december i get it they're not a team that is playing well against good teams but i do think they'll hang with the bucks more than perhaps people realize especially if it's 8 and a half the game that I think is really exciting, Niners-Cowboys, throwback to the 90s. I mean, it's making me think about Pat Summerall and John Madden. I, think, I picture T.O. and Steve Young over the middle, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith. Niners and Cowboys, it's going to be an awesome game. Cowboys are minus three. It is the first playoff game for the Cowboys since 2018. Jerry World is going to be rocking. Much like in baseball, the sport's better when the Yankees are good. Hey, football's more exciting when the Cowboys are in it. Love it or hate it, that excitement, that buzz, you can't deny that. Now, as far as the Niners are concerned, Garoppolo has struggled with turnover. Dallas leads the league in takeaways. How do you think Jimmy Garoppolo fares against this Dallas defense, which you and I both know, Micah Parsons and others, those guys have stepped up? Well, I, I think the whole key to this game is the Niners being able to play from in front and being able to continue to keep their run game in play. Because if this game becomes a drop-back pass game, if they get behind and Garoppolo has to drop back pass, this will be a the, the, this game will go from a Cowboy close winning game to a Cowboy blowout. That's what will happen because they won't be able to block them. They just will not be able to block them. And so uh, it'll be really challenging. And the, and the 49ers know this. They have to. I mean, part of the system, the McVay, the Shanahan, the Kubiak, this system is relying on first and second down, run the football, play action, being able to stay out of drop back passes. They just don't do that. And so for me, that's where the Cowboys offense has to generate this lead, get the lead, play from in front. And it's going to put the onus on the 49ers secondary. Can they hold up against this really good team? Their front, can they dominate? And I, and I think that's going to be the challenge. That That's going to be the challenge. The Cowboys, when you look at it on paper, they should be able to throw the ball and move the ball. They can block the front of the 49ers, but they got to put the ball in the end zone and they got to make the offense of the 49ers get out of their comfort zone, get out of their ability to run the, run the ball, control. The, if Kyle controls the clock, 36, 37 minutes, they win. The late John Mabb would also love the fact this game could be just determining the trenches. The Niners pass rush, one of the best in the game. Dallas is O-line inconsistent. And that's the one concern for Dallas. To your point, Mike, if the Niners defense can bring pressure, they can control that clock, wouldn't be shocked the Niners pull off an upset. Yeah, no doubt. If they don't, and if they don't turn the ball over. I mean, look, the Cowboys, you know, and, and Denver went in there and ran the football effectively on them. So you know you can run the ball. Now, the difference here is Kyle and, and Dan were on this, you know, Dan was the head coach, Kyle was the offense coordinator. So they know each other, they work closely, but this is a completely different Dan Quinn scheme. And, and, and my hat's off to Dan. I think Dan deserves assistant coach of the year. I think he deserves all the praise you can lay on someone who ultimately changed his philosophy and changed what he does defensively, and it's paid dividends for his career. He's going to become the next head coach of the Broncos, I think. So with that being said, Kyle's going to see a different Dan Quinn. If this was the old Dan Quinn cover three Pete Carroll defense, Kyle would eat it up. He would kill it. But that's not going to be the case. And where he moves Parsons and how he moves people around, I think it's going to be really fun to watch. 
We look forward to that game on Sunday. And also on Sunday, the Steelers and the Chiefs. It's Sunday night football. This looks like the worst game of the weekend. The Chiefs minus 12 and a half. They destroyed Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. Mike Tomlin, as you have raved about his coaching, but I don't even know. I mean, Vince Lombardi would have a tough time trying to win this kind of game against the Chiefs, the number two team. Pittsburgh does run the ball well. Najee Harris, they can get a pass rush with TJ Watt. But it's going to be awfully tough to imagine Big Ben turning back the clock in this one, Mike. Yeah, this is. I've been I've been waiting for Big Ben to become you know to become Billy Chapel for a while now, and he hasn't happened. You know, I've been I've been asking him to be Billy Chapel, and for the love of the game, it hasn't happened. But I think it's going to be a hard one. I mean, look, I love Tomlin, their defense. They just, I mean, they could rush the passer, but they're just not really able to ever get control of the game. And I think it's going to require them to turn the ball over a bunch of the Chiefs. And if the Chiefs just play a very conservative game in terms of execution, doing what they do, I think it's going to be hard for the Steelers to score more than seven. Points would be shocked. This ends up being a close game. And then we got the Cardinals and the Rams, which I do think would be a good game. That's a Monday night football playoff game. Rams at minus three and a half. The Rams are bringing 37-year-old veteran Eric yeah. Weddle out of retirement. Could he contribute to this team on a playoff run? This is win-one for the Gipper type stuff. I hope he signed a waiver. I mean, <laughs> you know, I hope he signed a waiver because he's liable to get hurt. I mean, the poor bastard hasn't played in two years. They're going to break him in half. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, what's going to happen? I mean, he's sitting on the couch with me. <laughs> You know, I mean, like, God damn. I mean, you, is this a sign of desperation to bring him back? Yeah. Seriously. It's unbelievable. But look, you know, the Rams to me are, again, they're much like the Niners. Got to run the ball, play from ahead. As great as everybody talks about Stafford being and his arm strength being more impressive, it's really comes back to they've got to run the Goff offense, the, 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 the McVay offense, and they've got to be able to. And to me, this is a big game for Murray. This is a huge game for Murray. And, you know, I think both quarterbacks have turned have been prone to turn the ball over, but Murray's got to make plays with his feet. He's got to be able to make plays down the field. He can't have long foul balls. And he's got to be able, they've got to move him out of the pocket because I think what you saw Seattle do to him last week is keep him in the pocket and cover him up and make him play small. And if they do that, it'll be hard. Turnover has been a real problem for Matthew Stafford. The Cardinals, they struggled in the second half of the season versus the first half, and they did split their season series, too. As they say, familiarity breeds contempt. The third time they'll face off again, Monday Night Football, the Rams are favored at minus three and a half. Let's do the mailbag. As always, send us your mailbag questions to the GMShuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. We got this message from Mike Morris. Hey, guys, wonder if it's still worth hiring a defensive head coach. In Denver and Miami, the front office picked a quarterback and the coaching staff was reluctant to develop a quarterback they didn't pick. In Minnesota, the defensive head coach wasn't able to elevate the quarterback, that's Zimmer, especially after Stefanski was hired anyway. How can a defensive-style coach figure out the quarterback position without letting the GM make all the decisions? Well, I, I think it's smart to hire a defensive head coach. I, I think guys like Don Martindale, Dennis Allen, Todd Bowles, I think they, they're going to give toughness to your team. They're going to make your They're going to make your team better in terms of all the things that matter when it comes to winning. The problem that most defensive coaches have when they go to become head coaches is they depend on somebody else to have the philosophy of the offense. It, you know, when Belichick walked into Cleveland in 1991, he hired Gary Tranquil, never named him the coordinator, but he, but he hired Gary Tranquil. And basically what he said to Gary was, here's what I want to do. Here's my philosophy of offense. Here's the way we're going to approach games. We're going to control the middle of the field. We're going to run multiple formations, personnel groups. We're going to run, you know, basic, we're going to run a basic play. It was the Joe Gibbs model. We're going to run a bunch of different formations and looks. But at the end of the day, the plays are going to look alike for the quarterback and for the running back and for the line. So he said, this is my philosophy. This is what I want. And every year we're going to revisit this based on our personnel. 
And I think what happens is why these defensive coaches fail. Vic Fangio, okay, Rich Scannanella, come on in, you run your offense. So that doesn't work. Pat Shermer, you come. That that that's what's wrong. Like what the problem is, these defensive coaches don't have an offensive philosophy. And then hire somebody who fits your philosophy. Hire somebody who fits and believes and can be adaptable. You know, I said this to uh, to somebody uh, the other day. I was talking to somebody in the league, and I said, "Look, you know." When you interview coaches, you know, you got to get them to, to, to give you what they believe in offensively in 10 words or less, you know, in, in 10 words or less. Can you describe what your offense is, you know? And for me, if I, were, if I were an offensive coach, I would say I want my offense to be in 10 words or less, physical, tough, adaptable, game, game plan specific, and dominate the middle of the field. That's what I want. Now that has nothing to do with plays. It has nothing to do with plays. It has nothing to do with. It has nothing. It has everything to do with how the philosophy of this team is going to be built, and then extend it out. You know, people talk about pass protections. Well, when you set inside out on your pass protections and you create the pocket in the middle, the quarterback can step up. All those are philosophies. They're not. They're not plays. And I think as a defensive head coach, you've got to install that philosophy into the offense. Well said. As always, send us your questions on Instagram at the GM Shuffler. You can email us as well. Pop Culture Minute, latest episode of Cinephile on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review. I gave my top 10 films of 2021. I'll save you the suspense. Belfast, which I've been raving about to Mike, is one of the best films of the year. West Side Story from Steven Spielberg. Uh, we've got some animated movies on there. But it was really, overall, I try to call the best from the worst. The worst movie I saw here was called The Jesus Rules, which save yourself that deplorable atrocity. I would think for Mike's <laughs> list, you know, I one of the worst movies you saw, remember Lansky, right? You love Harvey Keitel, but you said the movie yeah. was a real disappointment. I, I got to tell you, on my bad list, on my bad list is is the, the Many Saints of Newark. Yeah. It's bad. It, it, because you were waiting for such, we had such excitement. I mean, there hasn't been a peep about that since since the release, has there? No. You talk about a film had such fanfare. Obviously, guys, wise guys like you and me were so diehard, and it just came and went. Barely caused a ripple. I still go back and watch the uh, uh, They Paint Houses, you know, that, Irishman. what is that? What, uh, the Irishman, right? I still go back. I think that's great. That gets better as it ages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't even think about watching The Many Saints of Newark, other than if I want to listen to Van Morrison's uh, Astral, Astral Weeks. I mean, other than that, that's the only reason I would want to listen to it. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense to me at all. I mean, I feel badly for saying that. Yeah. I love all the tweets about this is what, like 20, how many years ago were the, the, four, the uh, Sopranos? The, the uh, 23 years ago this week, The Sopranos. Was debuted. Wow. Changed our lives. <laughs> Changed all of our lives. Yeah. Changed a lot of people's lives. Yeah. No doubt. The last no doubt. time on the podcast, you said the dogs were fighting because Millie was away. Are the dogs still fighting and is Millie back? Well, no. Millie came back on Tuesday. We had a reunited and it feels so good with the dogs. So we're kind of back to normal again. It was an emotional time for me, AD. I got to be honest with you. It was pain <laughs> to break up two dogs you love from fighting violently. That was hard. I mean, I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I need I need a therapy. I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna lie. It was. I mean, my, of course, my two sons said, "Well, you know, you like Bella more than you like us, anyway." So I'm sure, <laughs> which is unfair. But I do love Bella. But it was it was painful to watch. I, I'm I'm slowly getting over it. It was an emotional time for me. You could use definitely. I don't know if anybody's had dog fights before of two dogs you really love. Whoa. It's it's hard to break them up now. Yeah, it's like kids fighting, right? After a while, like, hey, come on, boys! No, but boys, the, I thought I thought one of them was going to kill the other one. Oh, geez, that's awful. Hey, it gets to you that know, one, that's scary. Yeah, I thought it was because they were, I, and I don't even know what's what what, what made it happen. But you know, I, I got back up off my feet. It took me about a week. 
It took me a week. On another dark note, a bit of crazy time right now, celebrity deaths. Bob Saget, dead at 65, died in his sleep. Wow. The great Sidney Poitier, the first black actor to win Best Actor, he passes away. And how about The Sopranos Connection? Peter Bogdanovich, who was an excellent director in the 70s, and he played Dr. Elliot, the shrink of Lorraine Bracco's character, Dr. Melfi. He passes away. A director who David Chase loved and said, you know what, I'm going to give you a role in The Sopranos. Elliot was always good because he was such a kind of a, a domineering story. Like he, he kind of fit that idea of the therapist being an arrogant guy, ticking his nose yeah. down at her, right? Right, and always bringing back, always wanted to learn more about the mafia, even though he <laughs> pretended he didn't like it. You know, you could sense he was really curious. It was like, you know, and always had that water bottle with him all the time, which he did in real life, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you own the DVD of the first season, there's a great interview. It might be on YouTube now, too of Bondanovich interview and Chase. They flipped it around. And it's really fascinating about the characters and about everything. Bondanovich, The Last Picture Show. Yeah, I was about to say, if you want to see his old movies, The Last Picture Show, Paper Moon, a guy was an excellent director back in the day. That's very, very sad to see these celebrity deaths, but the good news is we've got plenty of football to enjoy this week. We'll talk to you Monday. Enjoy the games. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.